Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Liverpool review episode and is brought to you in part by Betstamp the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this review. He is the vice president of the Tri-State Napoli Club, Peter Scala. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, It's um, always a pleasure to be on. Awesome. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you back as well. So let's get right into it. As you know, Napoli lost 2-0 to Liverpool at Anfield on goals from Mo Salah and Darwin Nunez. It was our first loss of the season, but because we only lost by two goals, Napoli still finished at the top of Group A. That's exactly where I want to start, Pete. Are you disappointed that the win streak and even the unbeaten streak have come to an end, or are you just happy that Napoli won the group? I'm just happy Napoli won the group. You know, there's a lot of added pressure when you're undefeated to maintain that streak, even though they still are in Serie A. But it's just whenever you're on a stretch, it's especially when you're with Napoli, when they have issues with mentality, I like to see how they respond after losses. So now it's their first one. They have a big matchup against Atalanta on Saturday. So it's good to see where their mind will be at for them. If you're going to pick a loss, this is the one, you know, you win your group, it's fine. Exactly. I was, you know, sad to see the streak come to an end, especially because we were tied with Juventus for the longest run of consecutive wins in all competitions for an Italian club at 13 matches. It would have been nice to be the only Italian club to win 14 consecutive matches in all competitions, 
But as you said, on the other hand, this is something I tweeted and a lot of people actually tweeted the same thing. It's, you know, if you were going to pick a match to lose, this is the one you're going to pick, right? Because it's really of little consequence. We still, as I said, we still win the group. And in a way, almost counterintuitively, you can argue that maybe losing this match was even a good thing. And, and what I mean by that is now you've removed that burden of having to continue the win streak. That weight is sort of lifted off of the player's shoulders and they can kind of go back to playing a little bit more freely. Not that there isn't any pressure to win. Of course, that's still there, especially, as you said, with a big match against Atalanta and having to now respond from a defeat. But at least there's no more pressure to continue those streaks. Do you think part of the reason Napoli didn't win this match was perhaps because the players knew that they didn't have to win? I mean, I know these guys are professionals and they're super competitive, but at the end of the day, the goal was really to not lose by more than three goals. No, I, I think that's a great point. I really, I yeah, I think they played, uh, they definitely played safe. I wouldn't want to say they, they didn't play to win, but I think they played safe. Um, you notice like Kavara wasn't really making a lot of dribbles like he at players like he does until he got mad and got hit. I think it was um, Trent Alexander hit him in the face, and after he got mad, and then he for a little bit he started running at players. But for the most part, everyone seemed to just play it safe, make the safe pass, and almost treating it like a training session, uh, which is you know as a Napoli fan, I know you we lost, but going into the sixth match where it's kind of meaningless. Just seeing it, your team treat it like a little bit more of an important training session was kind of nice. Yeah, exactly. And and another thing is you want to see no one get hurt in a match like that because we still fielded a pretty strong squad, which you have to do almost out of respect. And, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to not lose by more than three goals. Liverpool is still Liverpool. Yeah, they're having an offseason, but I think we still had to field a decent squad there. To me, though, the style of play felt a little bit different, and I think that was directly related to the fact that we didn't have to win the match. And the key was that we didn't concede four goals, and we achieved that objective. We didn't concede until the 85th minute, and at that point, it's even easier to let your guard down because you know the job is done, and of course, we conceded the two goals that we did. I think the stats reflected that as well. Napoli had only 10 shot attempts, which is very low for us. And only two of those shot attempts hit the target. We had 48% of the ball, which is also very low by our standards. I thought we struggled to find our rhythm, particularly in the first half. Now, maybe it was because Liverpool picked up the tempo and their press and their counter press, especially compared to the first leg, was a bit quicker. But we also played a lot of wayward passes. And, you know, as good as Ostergaard was defensively, and we'll come back to his play in part two. He could not seem to hit a pass in the first half. There were a lot of passes that went straight out to touch or they were overhit or they were played too close to a Liverpool player. And Liverpool played very physically and the match official, Tobias Steeler, really squeezed his whistle tight in this match. So that, I think, contributed to their ability to sort of break up our rhythm. There's just so many what looked like fouls that were just not given. I remember being surprised at one point in the half where the possession was like 50 50 because it, it felt like you know even though we had the occasional spell of possession it felt like we were just launching the ball forward towards Osiman and most of the time just giving the ball right back to Liverpool at one point Lucy Ward who did the English commentary for the zone with Rob Palmer 
said that it seemed like Napoli could kick it into another gear or two if they wanted to. And I, and I really felt that way as well, right? Like to our point about just sitting back, it didn't seem like we were really pushing as hard as we normally do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think Napoli, when they are playing at their best, they play very fast paced and this game, they were very slow. Yeah. I think they're just trying not to make mistakes and yes. And Dumbley, I, I think he his just his play style it kind of reminds me of Fabian, where kind of can slow down Napoli sometimes, even when he's playing well. I think sometimes it he can slow down the midfield. I personally like it when it's Zelinski, Laboka, and Angisa. I think he slows it down a little bit, even when they are playing like full tempo. Also, I think this is not a style that they're accustomed to playing. So that was probably something that was a little bit awkward or difficult for even the players like they're so used to just being hyper aggressive pushing forward scoring goals and in this match it felt like they were perhaps instructed by Spalletti to just make sure you don't concede so I think that might have affected the way they played as well what I also thought was a little bit curious and perhaps this contributed to our struggles in the match as well I mean if you could call it struggles the objective was achieved so I it's not like we had a poor game. We didn't win the match, but it doesn't necessarily mean we played poorly. But I think what might have contributed to that is that Spalletti played a number of his key players for nearly the entire match. Were you surprised that Spalletti waited so long to make his changes? Yeah, I mean, I we discussed even a little bit pregame. I thought Kavara and Osimhen would be on the bench. I figured, especially, I believe they, had, they both had four goals they still do. No, they don't. Nobody scored on against Liverpool. Raspadori and Simeone both have four goals. And with the way Lozano had been playing up to that point, even though we started on the bench, I think you would have been fine with those three and giving some of your big guns some rest. It's always nice, you know, whenever you can rest players. I'm definitely surprised about the amount of starters he played with wanting them not to play full speed. It, it, it seemed counterintuitive. That may have been a good game to give somebody like Elmas some some playing time, but he chose not to. Yeah, and you're not the only person who feels that way. I've some Napoli fans that I've spoken to kind of said the same thing that they were surprised with the even the starting eleven. I was generally okay with the starting eleven because I think the idea was, you know, let's get to a point where we're fairly confident we're not going to lose this match by four goals. So what surprised me more was the fact that we get to the 60th minute, no changes. We get to the 70th minute, no changes. I think the first change we made was not even one that you necessarily needed to make. It was sort of Lozano for Politano, and we still leave Osimhen on. We still leave Cavada on. We still leave Lobotka on. Both were weird. You're right. It was weird that they started the guys, and then if you're going to start them, you think you'd sell them off earlier. It kind of reminded me of Spalletti's last year, like how sometimes he just wouldn't make subs until like the last minute. But if it's just a one-off, like, I don't know. I, I Napoli writing. I don't want to sit here and complain about these little things like this. It's Napoli. I would take this season that I've been given so far nine times, no, ten, ten times out of ten. Yeah, so. absolutely. And and who are we to, or who am I even to to criticize Spalletti when you know we're having such a strong season? It was just unusual to me because I know that we play Atalanta. Of course, he knows that as well on Saturday. And you would think for such an important match in Serie A that you would want your best players to to be starting that match. And maybe they will. 
So to see, you know, and Yisa, who just returned from a muscle injury, play the full 90 minutes was a little bit surprising. Osiman played 88 minutes. Lobotka and Kabaraskhelia played 83 minutes. That, that I thought was a little bit unusual. Do you think the World Cup break plays into this? Possibly. I mean, we're getting close to it, and a lot of these guys won't be there. What I was thinking was that, in my mind, I'm just thinking we play every three days, we need to rotate. But that doesn't mean guys can't play a couple games in a row. They can, as long as you're, say, rotating for the next match, which is Empoli, and that's one that you probably would expect quite a bit of rotation, even though you know that match scares me more even than the Atalanta one just because of our history. <laughs> but but uh, perhaps that's what went into the thought process as well, that it's okay for OC men who's you know a young guy, Kabataskalia, a young guy. These are guys that are very fit to play two matches in four days, whatever it is, and then rest them after that. Lobotka, he plays in a position that, even though he runs a lot, it's not as many long sprints. It's it's a lot of running in a small space. So, you know, I trust that Spalletti and his training staff know the condition of these players, and I still expect a lot of those guys to be in the starting 11. At the same time, you know, not to keep going back on the same point, I do wonder whether it would have made sense to bring on Raspadori and Simeone. Like, I understand keeping Lobotka and Anguisa out there because we were holding off Liverpool, so you don't really want to mess with that either, and and the midfield is such an important part of that. And we saw what happened after we took those guys out, even if it was only for the final 10 minutes of the match, in Lobotka's case, Anguisa didn't come off, that Liverpool did start to get forward a little bit more easily and then eventually got those couple of goals. But with Raspadori and Simeone, I felt like well, you'd be making like for like changes in a way if you replaced Cavada with Raspadori, if you replaced Osimen with Simeone. I don't think you would lose anything defensively. Maybe you would lose an attack, but you could also gain because it's fresh legs or guys that are that are coming off the bench and you know might have been able to score. So that I mean, at this point, it's it's difficult to criticize this team because of how well we're doing. So we're, you know, start getting into the sort of minutia like this, but you know, that was probably the one criticism I had of, of Spalletti for this match that he might've been able to manage a squad just a little bit better. Yeah, that's, it's fair. I mean, you want to keep everyone kind of playing, especially, you know, Simeone loves the champions league. That seems to be the main reason why he came here and Raspadori at one point, I'm not sure if it still is, but he was, he had the second most goals per minute right behind Holland. So, like, I had made the statement, and I, I'd like to officially retract it, that Osiman had to work his way back into the squad because <laughs> clearly Napoli are scoring goals without him, and then his next game back, he scores, and he just, I'm an idiot. It was very dumb of me. Um, <laughs> but they have shown the ability to be able to score without him. So it's just the way they were trading the game, like at a trading session, it, it seemed like he could have, you know, give him 50, minutes and take him out but yeah it's bloody i trust as of right now so yeah it does make me wonder if maybe as a bit of a surprise move spalletti starts raspadori either on the left wing or at striker against atalanta i, I don't have him in my starting 11 i still think cavada will start on the left wing and osiman will start at striker in that match but Raspadori might be, even if it's just coming off the bench, I think he could be an important player in that match against Atalanta. Uh, yeah, obviously not with the 
the way I feel, but he does re- remind me a lot of Chiro, the way that, and the biggest factor is he plays bigger than he actually is. Like he's a tiny guy, but he doesn't get out muscled like Chiro didn't. He knew how to move around, and it's players like that are invaluable. He's scored a couple goals out of like nothing, and his positioning, or because of his, he was positioned well on the pitch. So players like that are incredible to have, and he's on the bench. Like this is, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely riches. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why so many Napoli fans, you know, looking back at last season where we had a similar start, feel very differently about this season than we did about last season because now we have so much depth and we've already shown that even if we lose a key player like Osiman for a few weeks or a month or whatever it is, we have other guys that are very capable of stepping in and not losing anything in the attack. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about some individual performances. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Fortsinopoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. All right, so let's talk about some individual performances. And I want to start with Leo Ostegaard, who thought he scored his second goal of the competition before a very long review ultimately canceled the goal for offside. Pete, what did you make of that whole situation? So I don't want to come off as a complainer of VAR. I'm pro VAR. I think it's great. However, just before we got on, I watched the replay. Now, I think we all assume as soon as the goal scored, they start checking it. But I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I went from when they put it on CBS that they're checking it. Two minutes and 54 seconds before the referee blew his whistle that it was offside. Now, okay, if it was offside, fine. I'm okay with it. But the referee didn't go look at it. All they did was make, and I mean, I'm I'm assuming it was shown everywhere, not just on CBS, but the ridiculous 3D image. I don't know if that's accurate. I would hope it is, but I don't know if it's accurate. The referee takes almost three minutes. And then my explanation is a 3D image of of his ear being off. Like, that's it? That's all I have to work with? Like, again, if he's offside, okay. But the entire process, it's ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. You should know like that. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about this technology because you have a lot of the same questions that all of us had. And so... I did a little bit of research on this, and by research, of course, I mean I googled x-ray offside, and I came across an article written by Dale Johnson for ESPN FC that 
does a really good job of explaining what the semi-automated offside technology or SAUT is and how it works. By the way, SAUT is like a terrible acronym. It's not fun to say. It's very tempting to say SOT, and that would be a lot easier to say, but you know, semi-offside automated technology doesn't really make any sense. So we're going to stick with SAUT. <laughs> but uh, let me answer some of these questions because uh, I think that might you know, a lot of people are looking for these, uh, the same information. So first, a lot of people were wondering, when was this technology even introduced? Like, where did this thing come from? This weird 3D image of people that look like crash test dummies, or I don't know what it is, because presumably a lot of people have never seen it before. And the answer is because it was only introduced very recently. It was trialed for a 2021 Arab Cup match between Tunisia and Mauritania, and then it was also used for Chelsea's FIFA Club World Cup match against Palmeiras in February. But this year's Champions League is the first major tournament to use this technology. So it was only just introduced in August, I believe. And even then, I think the traditional offside process is still used in most cases because it's easy enough if you can detect the offside with just the broadcast TV cameras then they'll still do that, but it's in these instances where it might be really, really close where they then use the SAUT. Um, another question I've seen is, well, how accurate is this? Like, how do I know, you know, how accurate this 3D image is, right? And the short answer is that it's at least supposed to be more accurate than the traditional VAR review is. So the traditional VAR review uses those broadcast TV cameras. And as we see when they're showing the replays on the live broadcast, those are not always clear or we don't always have a good perspective. And, you know, this was the perfect example, right? Where, you know, there's so many bodies in the area, OC men's offside, but he's blocking the view of what's behind him. He's not involved in the play, so it doesn't matter that he was offside. But we can't really tell if Ostegard is offside or not. So the way the technology works is there's what they call bespoke cameras set up under the roof of the stadium. And those cameras track 29 data points on each of the 22 players that are on the pitch. So they're all points of the body that could legally go offside. So your, your knee, your elbow, I guess your ear, your nose, I don't know, whatever the 29 points are. And that enables them through AI to identify the exact location of each player at any point in time, and it translates that into this 3D image. At the same time, the ball is equipped with a sensor that transmits data 500 times a second compared to the 50 frames per second of the broadcast cameras, meaning the officials can more precisely pinpoint the exact moment that the pass was made, because that's always a very subjective part of a VAR review as well, right? Like for something that's so close, if those officials are off by a millisecond that can be the difference between an offside or or not so like i said this was really the perfect scenario to use this technology it sucks that we had a goal taken away because of a player's ear or shoulder blade being offside but i guess fifa's position on this is that offside is offside it doesn't matter if you're 10 meters offside or if you're 10 millimeters offside and I guess that's kind of the point of the technology. Like it gives you the same, or at least it's supposed to the way, you know, Pierluigi Golini was quoted in this article, the former Italian referee. And I guess he's part of FIFA's 
team that works on this stuff. But he basically said, you know, everyone likes the precision that we have with goal line technology. Like we like to know that even if the ball is just a millimeter on the line, the goal doesn't count or a millimeter within the line, it does count. The idea is to give you that same level of precision for an offside. I don't know if I like that. I mean, obviously you're just, you know, uh, saying about the article, but I don't, those two comparisons don't line up because one's a line doesn't move. Does the ball clearly cross the line? The other one, it's somebody, it's two people's bodies, and then one another ball is kicked. Now, I'm going to assume everything is, you know, everything's calibrated correctly, you know, all that. And I, I am glad that you looked into this more because I didn't know that they used it before. I had never heard of this technology. You yeah. know, this is, they just threw a, a, a blue thing on <laughs> <in> my screen <laughs> and took the goal away. And I'm like, I haven't seen any pictures. I didn't look at it. <laughs> it took three minutes. But if if this, I guess this is going to be the future of football, and we better get used to it. Yeah, so it probably will be. I mean, the next competition where you'll see it used throughout is the FIFA World Cup, which is coming up in a couple weeks, and then the domestic European leagues will slowly start to to use it over the next couple of years, mostly just because they don't want to have to make the investment in the technology. So I think the EPL will be the first. There's talks that they'll introduce it probably next season. And then maybe a couple seasons from now, we'll see it in Italy. Syria, Syria hasn't said anything about it yet? No, and, and knowing Serie A will probably be the last to, <laughs> to implement it, which I'm not complaining about after after we lost the goal from, from this technology. The other question that you've kind of mentioned a couple times, and this is the one that I have the most qualms with, is why did the review take so long? And it's a perfectly understandable question because it gives you this feeling like they're kind of almost doctoring up this image. You're trying to find a way to make the player be offside. Now, in theory, the technology is supposed to speed up the VAR review, which obviously it didn't in this case. But the idea is that it's supposed to automate the setup for the review. So the technology is supposed to automatically tell you this is the exact moment the ball was kicked. And here's the line of the offside, the, furthest player on in front of the keeper or whatever the exact definition of offside is. And then VAR still looks at those images and validates that, you know, okay, yes, we agree that the technology got that right and didn't, there wasn't a, you know, a weird technological glitch or anything like that. Ironically, apparently the review took so long because they were having technical difficulties <laughs> with with the technology that is supposed to speed up the whole process. So it was a little bit a little bit shambolic uh, from that perspective. But back to Ostegard, aside from that goal, and you know I mentioned some wayward passes in part one. I thought he played really well defensively and you know, his best play was probably the slide tackle that he made right in front of our goal to prevent Mosala from tapping it in. Pete, do you think from that performance that Ostegard should be ahead of Juan Jesus in, in the sort of depth charts of center backs? I honestly don't. I mean, he had a great performance to so get me wrong, but the, with the way Spalletti's teams and our, we play from the back. We already have merit who isn't the best, although I say he's, he has improved with his feet, but he still isn't the best. I don't want two subpar passers back there. To me, I give Juan Jesus the edge. Now, obviously, I'm saying this after a good performance by Ostergaard and a bad performance in Juan Jesus' last game, 
but I don't I, I don't expect the bad performance to carry over. At one point last season, Koulibaly wasn't there, and that month that we had Rachmani and Juan Jesus gave up maybe one goal, I think, all year. I mean, that, that month for the African Cup of Nations, so I, yeah, I still was, think he was be that player. Yeah, exactly. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it starts with being able to pass out of the back, and like I said, Ostergaard's passing wasn't great. Maybe he was a little bit nervous. Who knows? I think that'll improve over time. And then I think part of that composure just comes with the experience that Juan Jesus gives you. So, you know, looking forward to Saturday, I think Jesus will probably start that match. But like I said, we play Empoli on Tuesday. So if Ostergaard doesn't start against Atalanta, then he probably plays against Empoli in the midweek. But with Kim there, does it matter? Like he's so good. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. I am starting to get a little bit worried about how much minutes he's racking up. You know, that's a bit of a risk. So hopefully we can get to the World Cup. I mean, he's going to be there as well and playing there. But yeah, the sooner we can get Rachmani back, then, you know, that center back pairing will have a lot more flexibility to it. And and this is good experience for Ostegaard. So then we'll have two really good center backs and two good center backs backing them up. Like we no longer have a situation where we have a Manolas that's a liability or a Maximovic in his final season or one of these guys that, that we can't really rely on. We have four pretty good options there. Similar to how we have this question about Ostegaard and Juan Jesus at center back, I think you can probably ask the question of who should play at left back against Atalanta. Pete, even though Mo Salah scored the late winner and he ultimately got the man of the match award probably for scoring that late winner, I thought Matthias Oliveira got a lot of deserved praise for his performance in this match. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought he played really well too. Yeah, and yeah, Salah scored at the end, but he was a ghost before then. Like He really didn't do much, and Oliveira deserves a lot of that praise for that. He limited Salah to three shot attempts, one being the goal, which came from a set piece, so that wasn't even really Oliveira's fault. On the other two shots, only one hit the target. Salah did create a couple of big chances for Liverpool, one in the opening minutes for Curtis Jones, where he kind of chipped it onto the roof of the goal. The other around the half-hour mark where Thiago's shot was stopped by Meret. But in both cases, Oliveira and really the rest of the defensive line kind of forced Salah to not shoot. They took away those shooting lanes and made him cut in, and he had to pass the ball off. He just did really well when when he was forced into that situation. But otherwise, I thought Oliveira pocketed Salah in this match. He just could not seem to get past him on the dribble. Oliveira was still chasing him down. You know, there was that play... Unfortunately, the corner kick that resulted from this play led to the second goal, but it's like the 96th minute. We have a corner kick. Liverpool break the other way, and it looks like Salah is going to be clear on goal, and then Oliveira races back, muscles him off the ball, and plays it up for a corner kick. So, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic performance for him. And that play, we had four or five guys sprinting back in the 96th minute when we're down 1-0, and we know that even if we lose by two or three, we still win the group. And they're sprinting full speed to get back, which I think speaks volumes about the character and you know the personality and how much these players you know want to play well for each other and for their coach. The last thing we have to talk about, and I intentionally left it for the end because it might be <laughs> it might be the the most controversial, I guess you can say, is the two goals that we conceded. 
Pete, there's been a lot of debates among Napoli fans about the play of Alex Meret on those two goals. Which side of the debate do you fall under? Well, I will start very quickly and briefly on the positive of Meret. He has exceeded my expectation thus far, and he has had some good games. However, I believe that there are a lot of Napoli fans who just automatically wanted him to do well. Therefore, saves that are um, routine saves, he gets praised for. And then he has a game like Liverpool where I understand a lot of these were both of those were pretty much close prank range, but they were right at him. That's what separates great goalies from just okay goalies or moments like that. And I just, I don't know how you could trust him. I don't. It's mind boggling. Again, do I think Napoli can win with him? Yes. But is he going to be the reason we win a Scudetto? Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, just like there are fans that sort of automatically say he's good because they want him to be good, I think the opposite is also the case where there are fans that are looking for, waiting for the mistakes so they can jump on him. I agree with you. I don't think he's a great goalkeeper. I think he's good, good enough. He's a he's a very good shot stopper. I think, as you mentioned earlier, that his footwork has seems to have improved or perhaps they're relying on it a little bit less. Like I feel like we're not passing back to the keeper as much as we, we did last season. So maybe that's an adaptation that Spalletti has made to counter that weakness. For me, I think, while I think Medet definitely deserves a part of the blame, I find it odd that and maybe it's because of the position he plays, but he seems to get all the blame whenever we concede a, a weak goal. And, you know, I think we do have to acknowledge a couple of things. One, the fact that I believe it was Elif Elmas who got beat on the header by Darwin Nunez on the first goal. And then it was Kim who actually got beat by Virgil van Dijk on the second goal. So there's a portion of the blame that has to go to the defenders, in my opinion, at least. And then the one thing that I find odd that really no one is talking about at all is that on the second goal, Zielinski should have pushed up. And I don't know if maybe because it was the final kick of the match, but he was just walking forward, kind of watching the play. And his trailing leg ends up being what plays Darwin Nunes on side. So, you know, again, if Zielinski pushes up like he's supposed to there on that play, Nunes is offside, and it doesn't even matter that Medet spills the rebound. So, you know, for me, yes, Medet deserves his share of the blame. I am part of the camp that feels like like those are powerful headers from six yards away. And typically in those situations, the keeper is just reacting and trying to touch the ball. But I take your point. Maybe when it's almost right at you, you should be able to control the rebound better. I do agree with you. There are definitely people that, that are just want Merit to fail. While I don't like him, and I would prefer somebody like Navas, who we were, uh, there were talks. He's the starter. Sirigu is not going to replace him. He's he's the best I got. I want him. I want to be proven wrong. But then games like Liverpool happen. And it's like it ruins all the confidence I had. I was starting to warm up to him. I don't know. I just, he worries me. And in 2018, Napoli made a run and Reina was our goalie. And he wasn't. He was he was good, but he had weaknesses. 
And I would hate to have a similar season like that where we have a goalie that has a lot some weaknesses, and that's why we lose to Scudetto. It's just we're so close, and I don't want a mental lapse from our goalie to what is what ruins the season. No, absolutely. And I think we're all in agreement on that one. Fortunately, you know, one of the reasons why we have so many clean sheets this season is because how well we're playing defensively or perhaps how little of the ball we're allowing our opponents to have. So it's almost like, well, if we don't allow them to shoot, then they can't score or we can't concede a a weak goal. Pete, before we wrap it up, we know now who Napoli's opponents might be for the round of 16. I'm not sure if uh, you looked at all the the runners up. I have. Okay, so is there any team, I think I know you would like to avoid, but is there any team that maybe you'd rather play against? Honestly, Borussia Dortmund, and not even necessarily because I think like, oh, that's the easy. I just, I like watching them play, and I think, like a lot, granted, the teams are very different now, but last time we played them, the games were fun to watch and it was a joy. And listen, Napoli, they made it out of the group stage. We saw how much money they got at this point. We're playing with house money. I just want to watch good football. Yeah, so. no, that's fair. And to be honest, I mean, Borussia Dortmund's, they're not as good as <laughs> as how they have been. Obviously, when you remove Erling Holland from a team, you know, they're not going to be as good. They haven't had the greatest season, but. Even PSG, who's obviously the team we all want to avoid. And we're going to get, by the way. We, we, and we all know. Right? There's like, as someone produced these odds were like 17%, 21%. I don't know how they did this math. I'm sticking to the more basic one in five, so 20% chance we get them. But we're Napoli, so that's more like 20% chance we don't get them. But even PSG, I don't know. This might be just an outrageous hot take, but they don't worry me either in a way. Actually, what I should say is what worries me the most is that they have Messi and not that Messi. I mean, he's having a fantastic year, which is probably because the World Cup is coming. But that just makes me feel like we're not going to get the whistles. You know, there's there's a huge financial incentive to have a guy like Messi and Neymar and Mbappe go far in this tournament. So that kind of worries me. But if we're looking just at the way these teams have played... And this is not so much a a comment about PSG as much as it is a comment about Napoli. The way we're playing, I feel like, of course, we can lose on any given day, but there's no team that we can't beat on any given day either. Uh, I would disagree. I think there's maybe I think there are three teams that I could see as being better than us, them being Man City, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich. Not in any particular order. Take a pick. I mean, there, there are three... Uh, amazing team. So I'm okay with not being as good as them. In fact, we've talked about it before. Man City is kind of like the Napoli on steroids team. Like we have very similar <laughs> yeah. players, but they're all kind of a little bit better than us on ours. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you I'd watched a second of the French league. So like take what I'm saying about PSG with the grain of salt, but like, I mean, they're still PSG, you know, Mbappe and Neymar and Messi could win games on their own. They're just three superstars, and we would have to play the game over live, I think. And on a two-leg game, I don't want to play them. Yeah, and I mean, it's not just those three either. There's a whole bunch of other, other than Fabian, there's a whole bunch of other great players on that squad. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, of course, I mean, I don't mean to suggest that Napoli are better than these clubs, but I think 
I still think we can beat anyone on any given day. To your point, in two legs, it's a lot harder because they can also come back and, and win the other leg. But it'll be interesting to see. Fortunately, if we can avoid PSG, then we have a pretty good matchup to get into the quarterfinals, which I believe would be the deepest we've gotten in the Champions League in club history, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then, you know, from that point onward, you're going to get a mega team at some point. So then then we'll just see. But like you said, we're playing with house money at that point. One question real quick, because I remember we talked briefly about it the last time I was on for the Barcelona review. Is the Maradona Fortress again, do you think? I think it is. Yeah, I do. I do, yeah. I mean, the results kind of prove it, but Look also the fans. The I just see more into yeah. it. Yeah, it's the place is packed, even the lower bowl, which is always the last section that's opened up for sale. And also it's being packed against clubs that you wouldn't necessarily like you fully expect sellouts, you know, in the Champions League. But even against other clubs that maybe you wouldn't expect sellouts for, we're we're getting really huge attendance numbers. So I, I do think it is. And the fans are fully behind them. They're they've bought in. The ultras are not boycotting or striking. They're behind the club, so it does seem like um, everyone's supporting the club right now. And I do give some credit for that for ADL. He hasn't really raised the ticket price as much, and even the last game for against Aswolo, under fourteen tickets are free. Yeah, exactly. There and and the city's making efforts, and you know there was some criticism for accessibility for people with disabilities, which needs to be addressed. Absolutely, but they are doing good things and. The best thing, I mean, the best thing about winning, I guess, is that all you get from ADL is congratulatory tweets from the U.S. Whereas, you know, he's he's a lot more involved when things are not going well. And and that then just creates unnecessary sort of added pressure. And Spalletti's also always gone out of his way to acknowledge the fans. He always mentions how we travel and, and how we create a section of the Maradona in the visiting stadium. Uh, you know, we have the players doing the that arm-in-arm kind of salute to the curva at the end of the match. So, yeah, I think I think the fans are a big part of it, and I do think the Maradona is a fortress. So the draw for anyone who's looking to watch that is on Monday, November 7th at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you might have to set your alarms <laughs> for those of us on, on this side of the world. Pete? That's all we have time for today. But before we wrap it up, Tri-State Napoli Club is hosting a meet for this match uh, against Atalanta on Saturday. For any listeners who are in or around the New York area, can you just give us some of the details about that event? Absolutely. So Saturday at 1 o'clock is the game, obviously. We're going to meet at pretty famous Italian restaurant in New York, Rebolta. If you're going to go, I'd recommend get there at 12 when the restaurant opens. We will be and other representatives of the club will be there when the restaurant opens and try to grab as many seats as we can for the club. Napoli Club New York City will be there and some representatives from the league as well. So it's going to be a really cool, fun time. The, the way the club has grown, it continues to astound me. And I'm just very thankful that people care, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Can I ask, you know, if if you don't mind sharing... Like, how did you guys end up connecting with the league? Because that's really cool. And especially for Napoli, who's not, you know, you expect it for the bigger, the Milans and the Juventus and all, and that sort of thing. But for Napoli, it's great. So believe it or not, they technically reached out to us. 
we were tweeting at CBS kind of a lot to try to just, they send reporters to other meets and, you know, Napoli's been playing so well, why not try to have them come to us? And I guess they saw how much we were tweeting CBS. So they, for which game, but now after Napoli win, they tweeted at the, about the win and they tagged us in. So I went, you know what, let me just DM them, see what happens. I got a hold of somebody's email. We just kind of been talking a member of um, the team in New York came to our meet against um, Bologna and we just kind of, it's been going on from there. It's, it kind of fell into our lap, honestly. And their goal here is to help grow soccer in North America. My goal and our goal for Tri-State is to just grow Napoli in the Tri-State area. So it seems to be a good partnership thus far. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And especially, you know, one of the, the things we all are kind of critical about Napoli as a club is sort of that that outreach beyond just signing a player from Mexico or South Korea or Georgia. You know, there doesn't seem to be a huge effort, even while the club's president is spending so much time in the U.S. You know, there's not a huge outreach to fans on on this side of the world. So it's great to see what you guys are doing, what we're all trying to do, and is kind of getting that recognition from the league. And hopefully it does grow the sport and grow the club in, on this side. Yeah, and like, you know, you, you have this podcast, you've Raf and Raf, the YouTube side. When we started our club, two others pretty quickly after made one too. Um, one in the Carolinas and then Mid-Atlantic as well. Yeah. I think someone started one in Cincinnati as well. Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's great. The better Napoli does, the easier it is. Start a group, takes two people. Like for me, my end goal in this, I, I, don't, I don't like if we get on CBS, if whatever was here, I don't care. I want Napoli in the States to grow and to get big. And if Napoli eats, we all eat. And, you know, it's better for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one way that that, that really happens, but I'm not even going to mention it. So <laughs> that is where we're going to leave it. Pete, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Always a pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you. So you can find Pete on Twitter at babysquid underscore 1926. We'll talk about what that means another day. I think we can we can share that story <laughs> with, with all the listeners, maybe during the international break when we all have a, a lot more time during the World Cup. But you can find the Tri-State Napoli Club at tri underscore Napoli Club. Also on Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. If you're looking for a preview of the Atalanta match, head over to Atalanta Pod on all the usual platforms. I teamed up with Dan and Nick at Atalanta Pod to preview that match, and it was a really fun episode. We kind of took turns being the host, Dan and I, to preview that, so it's not just me being asked questions. I did some question asking myself, so be sure to check that out. I will be back next week to review that Atalanta match and to preview the Empoli one. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.